Welcome to California Women Lawyers Seat at the Table podcast. I am your host, Summer C. Selleck, joined today by my co-host, Ariel Brownell-Lee, and our guest, the Honorable Danielle Douglas. Ariel, would you like to get the listeners acquainted with our speaker today? Absolutely, Summer. The Honorable Danielle Douglas was appointed by Governor Edmund Brown on July 16, 2014. Judge Douglas was a Deputy District Attorney in Contra Costa County from 2000 to 2013 and was most recently an Assistant District Attorney at the San Francisco District Attorney's Office. She attended undergrad at Missouri Western State University and law school at McGeorge School of Law in Sacramento. Welcome Judge Douglas, we're very excited to have you. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, let's get started. Uh, so how did you and why did you become a lawyer? There's no real answer to that. I, I had no one in my family okay. who had been an attorney. My, both of my parents did not go to college. They both had high school degrees. My mo mother worked in banking. My dad worked for a grocery store. I think maybe three things pointed me to the law. One, I used to argue with my grandfather all the time, and if he said up, I said down. If he said right, I said left, and he would say, you're going to be an attorney, which I don't even know why he said that, because he didn't know any attorneys. <laughs> he just decided that that was an attorney state of mind. I took a career aptitude test in high school, and it said that I should be an attorney or judge. Oh. And then lastly, my favorite TV show was probably Perry Mason growing up, and that's what I imagined the law would be like, walking oh, into wow. court with that briefcase, having that Perry Mason moment. Yeah. So I'm disappointed, uh, still. <laughs> that was my follow-up question. Were you disappointed <laughs> when you actually started practice? Yes, because it's not that exciting. There's no aha yeah. moment. The aha moments never really happen, do they? They don't, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so or now, maybe fortunately, now that I know, now that I know our system, I don't think they're supposed to happen. Right. If you actually know what's coming next, you're not totally caught off guard. That doesn't make a very good attorney. I don't know. I, I there are like moments when like I'll get an email and I'm like, I think I'm having an aha moment, and then I'm like, no, I just read it wrong. That's not an aha moment. And then I get so sad. I'm like, this isn't Perry Mason. This isn't Law and Order. This isn't you know. LA law and then I'm like this is really quite a boring job that we have and if, if you're doing it right you, you know what's happening next yeah you're right if you're doing the job right it shouldn't be that interesting everybody's <laughs> exchanging discovery everybody's filing their briefs on time the judge has read everything goes out knows what everyone's going to say and then renders the decision so then what are your thoughts I guess and I know this is jumping a little bit ahead that's but okay what are your thoughts on on mediation versus trial I mean, do you think that there is a lot of room for mediation in, in the system? Or because if, if we are just disclosing and giving uh, discovery, and, and should, should we really need to go to trial or civil or criminal? I'm a civil attorney, so, so I'm asking from the civil perspective. But I, I do have some background in criminal. Uh, but I, I guess my question came from a civil standpoint. I'm a big believer in mediation. I mean, civil court to me are where two parties need intervention to help right a wrong or to give direction in how they should go forward. Anytime the two parties can make the decision for themselves and the court doesn't have to be involved, I think that's a win. Even if it means, you know, there are less judges. 
we are there to help people settle disputes when they can't settle it for themselves. It's kind of like with my children. I always tell them, before you come to me, work it out. Yeah. You know, amongst yourself. Like I should be the last layer, the last uh, intervention. First, you should try to work it out. So I am. I think mediation is wonderful. I actually think we have more people coming to court because we don't teach that skill anymore. We don't teach it in school. Maybe we're not teaching it in the homes. But I am a big believer of. Okay, wait. Hold on. You two want to watch the same show? Figure out how you can work a, a schedule to where you both get to watch something, or you both get to watch what you want. Because chances are. When I make the decision, you're not going. Neither of you are going to be happy. <laughs> it's just like court at your house. Yeah, no one's happy if mom has to make the decision. Exactly, because usually I'm just like no TV. Yeah, I always just find it interesting to get judges' uh, ideas on that because in theory, if there's more mediation, then there's less work for judges. But it's always kind of interesting to hear because a lot of judges will say, "I love mediation. I think it's a, there's a great place for it." And so, did you have the same perspective when you were practicing in criminal? Criminal's different, and I don't know where criminal is going to go, because how do you mediate um, crimes? And I'm a little, it'll be interested. I'm not against the idea of restorative justice. I think it has a place because it can make victims feel whole. However, a, when you're talking about a crime, you're talking about a crime against the state. Yeah. It's not just one victim. So who gets to make the ultimate decision? and what if two people are similarly situated and one victim says, I'll mediate, and one victim says, I will not? Yeah. You have two people being treated differently under the law. So I think mediation probably has a place in, in the criminal justice system, but not the same as civil. And I think that mediation in the criminal justice system could lead to some constitutional issues, it, you know, of equal protection of the law, and who's making the decision of whether to bring charges? Is it the district attorney or is it the victims now? Which right. we've always had a system that the actual victim doesn't make the determination yeah. for good reason. Yeah. So. So I mean, isn't that isn't that isn't it the district attorney though? I mean. D don't they ultimately have the decision to one bring charges and two, if there's going to be a plea, make make the make the plea or not? I mean, so wouldn't mediation fall to them? I mean, that, I guess that's my my understanding, at least with the cases that I've done, which is like misdemeanors, so it's not big stuff. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm saying, like in the misdemeanor realm of things. But it's I think you know they're opening up. And they, it's called more restorative justice, but they're opening up the idea that instead of going through the criminal justice system, that the two parties can come together and mediate. And it will be interesting to me to see how that works out. Because what do you do yeah. when one victim says absolutely not, and then you have individuals saying, well, this isn't fair. Right. Somebody who did exactly what I did was able to go through mediation, uh -huh. didn't have criminal charges, <laughs> And their, their decision of, of how they should be labeled is being decided by the actual victim. Is right, it? and where do you draw the line on the crimes? I mean, petty crimes it's can be true. mediated, but when obviously you're not going to mediate murder or you're not going to mediate um, well, I mean, big felonies like that. 
Yeah. So where is the line there? Well, you say obviously, but I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. know. I, I agree. Okay. I agree. I don't I know. So practice criminal so, law. So. Well, I mean, it's so strange. It's just like the concept just blows my mind because you don't know what kind of victim you're going to get. Like if the family's like, you know, we don't believe in, you know, eye for an eye kind of justice. What, what, what do they want to see happen? So it's, it is kind of mind blowing to look at it that way. It is because what if you look at it as the, you let the family decide whether or not it's a capital case or not. Yeah. Wow. So then d does it matter on the victim that, that, um, unfortunately was the, the person of the, you know, the crime, the victim of the crime, does it matter on their family now? But then if you start doing that, you go down this road of a murderer could potentially be picking victims who he thinks has sympathetic families. I mean, no, it, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, it's just absolutely insane. I mean, wow. I think that would be a better justice system potentially, but it would be a more involved criminal justice system where everyone would really have to be a part of it, whereas that's not really what we have right now in criminal justice. People are very hard-lined on either yeah. side of, I don't know. Well, as someone who only watches Law and Order and does not practice <laughs> criminal law, so you're, so as, as a person who only knows Perry Mason, um, uh, yeah. more like SVU, but SVU. yeah, <laughs> my daughter's favorite show, oh, my older Benson. daughter, Benson, no. Benson is it's just such a good show. Actually, Ariel sent me a video the other day, and in the background of the video that she had of my baby, I heard SVU playing, and I was like, oh my gosh, you're starting them young, Ariel, aren't you? Her baby's newborn, so I'm just like, that's a the content is probably not good for your child. <laughs> Sorry. Or it's great. Or it's great. Yeah, starting them young. So, okay, let's circle back a little bit and talk I'm more sorry, about we got you. Heavy I know, really we did. Quick. I like it, though. But that's, it was amazing. That's a good it was great, start. It was a great start. So, you went to law school not right away, right? You did, did other. I did. I went, so I went two years to a community college, mm -hmm. three years to a four year college, and then I went to law school. I didn't take a break. Okay. Well, you had a paralegal certificate in there somewhere, I know, right? The, I went two years the community. the community college, right. but then I ended up just going on. And I just want to um, back backtrack because I love that you went to a community college. I actually went to community college, and I think that's the best way to sort of start your your educational career because it gives you the opportunity to sort of see what you want to do. It seems like you knew what you wanted to do. Um, but I got to dabble with lots of different things. Um, and do you think that that helped you to, to, to propel you into, into law anymore? Or did you already always know that you just wanted, you were, you were headed and you were, had a target or? I feel like by the time I went to community college, I knew that I was headed towards a law-related career. Okay. But if, I didn't know that I was going to go to law school yet. Okay. And, and I, went, by the time I started college, I already had a child. Okay. So I started college right after high school graduation and my daughter was three months old. I cannot imagine that. That's awesome. Having a so, three month old right now, I want to like bow to you because that's incredible. I you can know, hardly do anything. In some ways, I say this and people look at me, in some ways it was easier than now. Not financially, obviously not my maturity level, but what I had on my plate. I was fortunate enough that I had a uh, good family that helped me out and I had other resources that I was smart enough to tap into that some people may not even know is out there. Mm -hmm. I, you know, took classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I was able to be home with my kid on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I had time to study. 
I think about that time actually and I'm envious when I look at the child that I have now who's eight who told me last week that I haven't gone to one field trip this year and I'm either going to the next the next one or the one after that and that's just it we'll have no <laughs> there's no, no more discussion. Yeah, well, no, no more discussion and I feel bad sometimes you know you drop her off at eight o'clock and I don't see her again till almost seven o'clock at night yeah. So in some ways it was, I mean, obviously I'm not advocating people having children um, at the age of 17, but I didn't have as much on my plate. I did lose the ability to be a college student and go out and party because that time was filled with taking care of a child. But what did I know? I didn't know what I was giving up then. Yeah, overrated. I never did that stuff, so <laughs> I, whatever. Um, I always say that, that having kids is kind of a, because I, I just had one and I'm 35. And so I, I feel like it's a young person's game too in a lot of ways. Like there's there's some real benefit to having a child. The energy to the, keep yeah. up with the I child. I just want to sleep now. I'm just, so I'm sleeping away her life a little bit. <laughs> so I laugh because I've had children now when I was 17, when I was 26, and when I was 37. So I always say I'm going to write a book about having a child. <laughs> Parenting by decade? Yes. <laughs> And I agree, I, in some ways, when I was younger, it was much easier. Getting up in the middle of the night when you're 18 yeah. was nothing. Yeah. It was like, this is no big deal. The energy to uh, run around with your child. I always joke, because I tell my eight-year-old who says, mommy, play with me. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you got the old mom. Yeah. The young mom played with her, her <laughs> other children. But here's what you get. I have more money. Yeah. <laughs> so I can buy you more things. To play with. That's yeah. right. <laughs> to play with, just not with me. <laughs> so you got the old mom who doesn't go on field trips but also can buy you things. That's right. So that's yes. a fair trade. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if she thinks so yet, but she will. She'll like it. She'll be fine. My other two daughters say she has it easy. She's like, you don't yell at her as much. I'm like, I'm tired. I'm tired. I don't have time to yell at her. I don't I see used, her that much. I used all my yelling on you too. That's right. And now she has the older sisters who have the energy to play with her. They can kind of act as your surrogate when they're around. Sometimes. <laughs> and my, they want to play with the little one. My oldest, oldest one now is 28. She just turned 28. So she does not live at home. And then my middle child is away at school. She is home for the summer and right now they're getting along very well, but trust me in two weeks my little one will say, when's she going back to school? <laughs> <laughs> Going to come with a proposal to kick her sister out That's of the right. house. That's right. Porn eviction notice. <laughs> so <laughs> when you started law school, what year was it that you started law school? 1996. Okay, so in 96, how was the atmosphere for women in the law? The demographic, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I don't remember thinking about that there or, or taking it in. It just, by the time I think I started, it there were more women in law school. We weren't quite 50-50, mm -hmm. but I want to say like my class was probably 35%, 40% women. But I don't remember there being a, discussion at the time about w women being in the law. I do know there were less women partners in big law firms. There were less w women prosecutors. There were less women judges. So I think probably if I look back, women were 
kind of forced into certain careers as lawyers, professors. There's probably more women professors than male professors when I was uh, in law school, or maybe about the same. Mm -hmm. But I think I felt like women who graduated from law school tended to go into certain careers that, um, and men tended to go in a different direction. Were women litigators less common? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I, I think people believed that you couldn't be a litigator and be a mother, right? How are you gonna have time to stay at work late and prep your cases? And when you're a litigation attorney, whether it's civil or criminal, the belief is that you devote 100% of your time to the case that you're on. And you couldn't do that and have the duties that you have as a mother. Mm -hmm. So, and even when I started in the DA's office, here's a good example. I won't say who said it. When <laughs> I started in the DA's office, there was an understanding that if you were a female attorney, you did not wear pants in trial. Really? I can believe that. I mean, there's still, there's still, you know, if you're going to go to trial, wear, wear heels, you know, things like that, which I think are, you know, obviously crazy. Or how about pantyhose? Yeah, I mean, I, oh, those are respected <laughs> with your dress. <laughs> pantyhose, I can't heels, imagine. heels, and a skirt, and I, I, it's just interesting to me, and it's interesting too, in 2019, because just yesterday I had a social worker who said. I'll come to court, but I'm not dressed for court. And it made me think, well, what does that even mean? Yeah. What does it mean to be dressed for court? Is there some kind of court dress? If you go on a website to buy clothes, can you click on court clothes? <laughs> like, is there, like what? I don't, I don't even know what that means. And I thought, there is no attire. Are you dressed? <laughs> are you dressed appropriately that you're not going to be stopped? Shirt and shoes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Are you dressed appropriately that you would be allowed to enter into a restaurant, a 7-Eleven? Yeah. Law enforcement isn't going to stop yeah. and uh, ask you any questions. If the answers are yes, then you're dressed fine for court. Like, I don't know that there's some requirement that you have to come in a, in a suit. I suppose there's a, a different requirement for attorneys, but even now, like attorneys say, I'm sorry, I didn't wear my jacket. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really notice those things. Yeah. So I just feel like that's one of the ways that, that it's changed. If you were to show up in court, you know, 20 years ago in, jeans and you were a probation officer or a social worker, I think judges would frown upon that. And Absolutely. now I don't, I don't really care what you're wearing, I care about the content. Absolutely. I'll say when I first started practicing and I was you know, getting dressed, buying all my suits when I was a baby lawyer, I would look at the women who had been practicing longer than me in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and I'd see women wearing cardigans like the one you're wearing. I think someday I'm going to feel brave enough to wear a cardigan to court instead yeah. of a suit jacket. And that in my mind is like when I feel like I will be fully comfortable you made it. in myself. I still, well, I did when I was pregnant because the jacket's got a little tight. <laughs> that was always to me like the level of self-actualization and comfort that I wanted to get to wearing a cardigan instead of a jacket. I just don't think that, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong and I shouldn't tell you this because I don't want other ju judges to yell at you. I just don't think that you have to wear a jacket to court. Where is that in the local rules or the rule book or, or, any, or anything? <laughs> Even sometimes male attorneys will say, judge, I'm sorry, I don't have a tie. I spilled something on my tie. And I'm like, honestly, I wouldn't have even noticed if you didn't just say that. Like, I, yeah. I would not have noticed. Generally, there's a level at which if you are dressed 
I'm not going to notice like any the details. Yeah, our deficiencies. Yeah. You come in flats, I'm not going to notice. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, if you came in sneakers, I wouldn't notice. Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, w the the strange part is, what what would you be able to say from the bench, right? I, it, I feel like if you were to say something, it would be inappropriate. So it's kind of like to dance along that line of is it uh, sexual harassment, yeah. or you're commenting on someone's body not and even, clothes. Not even sexual harassment. How about just discrimination yeah. against individuals that can't afford exactly. mm -hmm. to buy suits? Suits are not cheap. I've thought of that. Yeah, before. And not only are suits not cheap, have you? recently gone suit shopping. Yes. Where do you go? Where do you go that you can buy a suit today? I remember all the stores that I've gone to. There's not that many places that actually sell suits. And it's funny because just recently um, I was going to be on some panel and I decided that I needed a suit. And I went to so many stores to buy a suit. And what I realized is one of the only places that I found a suit was at Nordstrom. It was a Hugo Boss suit. And I was not paying $1,000. very expensive. Yeah. But there's not that many other places that you can actually buy a suit jacket, a suit skirt, or a suit pants, mm -mm. and, um, and a, a suit jacket. Like, suits are obsolete. Well, there's, there's that aspect of it, they're expensive, and also, if you're actually going to a store to purchase a suit, you have to think about, people have different body types, people have different ways of dressing, so n nowadays, it's really hard to find a suit that actually fits a certain type of person, whether it be, you know, I take separates and I put them together. It's Jackets one place, pants yeah. another place. It's just really difficult. So I, I think that we're kind of moving away from that. I see it a lot in court. I see it a lot when I have been in criminal court, but I also see it in, in civil. And so it's just like really interesting to hear that perspective from a judge. Cause I, I just can't imagine going in front of a judge. Imagine how you would feel if you get called out for what you're wearing right before you're going to present your case. It'll just shatter your, your confidence. Just say I, I had to decide whether or not to pay for daycare or... <laughs> <laughs> Or a suit. I, I I feel like I feel like if you come it to a, to court and you are prepared and what you say is smart and relevant, they don't care what you're wearing. I mean, I, I just always think back to my cousin Vinny. You know, <laughs> I just think like if you, if you if you can make a great argument and win the case, who cares, who cares if you're wearing, wearing you know a clown suit or or what have you? I I agree, and even on cases where maybe I did raise my eyebrow and I'm not thinking of any now or if I am I'm not admitting it <laughs> even on some things where someone came in I'm like huh that's an interesting person like maybe they had dyed hair or certain things that I was like oh I would never have done that by the time the hearing is done based upon their presentation I forgot my initial thoughts you know if that person made a great argument mm -hmm and was prepared and was honest with the court. I care about those things so much more than what you're wearing. At, you know, by the end of the case, if you've met my expectations of what I think it means to competently and zealously represent your client, I'm not thinking about what you're wearing. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a prerequisite if you're going to go outside of the lines is that you have to make sure that you have Right. The, the stuff to back it up. That was always my understanding. So. Well, and the same thing on the opposite. If you came in with a $1,000 Hugo Boss suit and you weren't prepared, you weren't honest with the court. <laughs> a tie tax not saving you. <laughs> the, the, exactly. I'm you not going to say, oh, well, that's okay, though. 
Look at you. Look you look, you, you look, look the part. Like a million bucks. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's it's interesting to to hear that. So, yeah. You know, that, I'm not sure how we got off on the conversation, but I oh, because we were like, talking about women and that's right, and, and litigators, and, and litigators. And I was saying, you know, when I started as a prosecutor, there was an you know there was an understanding you that, you, that you had to wear skirts. So so. So you got to you got to law school. You realized that there was a certain type of job that women went into, but you didn't. That you didn't, didn't stop do that. you. Yeah. So no. so what what was how did you how did you decide that you weren't going to just be transactional? I mean, that's what because I thought it was boring. <laughs> Fair. I don't want to sit in an office. Yeah. With books, I feel like that's you know. Women are told that we're we're great writers, we're great researchers. If I wanted to do that, then I would have just went ahead with my paralegal certificate. I didn't want to just uh, be contained in an office and research, although I am a great researcher, and, and write. I wanted to be a litigator. I wanted to be in court. I wanted to make the argument to the judge that was going to give him pause. Even if I didn't win, if, if the judge looked at me and said, that's interesting. So you're saying this, this, this. I like the argument, but you wanted the <laughs> judge to have the aha moment. Yeah, I, I wanted. Well, I wanted the judge to have not the aha moment so much as for me to present a way of thinking that the judge might not himself or herself previously thought in in that direction. Yeah. So I wanted to be able to say. I understand. I understand what the other argument is, but let me let me explain it to you this way. Yeah. You know, this is what the intent of the law is. If we do this, does that make sense? Yeah. Does this conclusion make sense to further what the intent of the legislature was? And so if the judge stopped, even if I didn't win, if the judge stopped and said, That's a good argument. Yeah. I felt like, okay, I did. I did well today. You know, what you just said reminds me of a conversation we had before doing the interview for the ACCTLA magazine. When you talked about attorneys coming into your courtroom, you don't want them to say, this is what I want, give me this. You want them to walk you through every point of how to get there. You know, tell me, how do I do that for you? And it sounds like you did that as an attorney for the judges, and you expect that back. I think that's fair. From attorneys. I think that's fair because I mean you have to think not that I'm afraid of the the appellate court but if you're going to ask me to do something and this is your thought this is your idea mm -hmm. and you're bringing it to me tell me how to make a record show your work right yeah show your work Ugh, show me math, you know yeah. how am I going to make this record yeah. where the appellate court understands why I uh, bought your argument why I think your argument is right how did we get back to showing your work in math? Well, we got off on a tangent there on war and duty, but back to showing our work is talking about she expects attorneys to come in and actually tell her how to get from A to B, I mean, but that just A to C, I guess, what's that Doesn't that just make sense that we should be doing that? I Maybe mean, it's just in family law that that doesn't get that all the time. I mean, I, no, I, I, I see it not happen other places. I think it happens. I mean, it, ha it doesn't happen a lot of places, but it just feels like it should be happening. I mean, I'm just, you know, just spitballing here that it just seems like But it. again, I think it comes back to what you said before. Teach our kids how to make an argument like that. You know, I don't think children are taught logical arguing skills. Yeah, they're just taught, I want it, or it's mine, or give it to me. Right. And that's not good enough at this point, or it shouldn't be. I remember as a little girl, I would always have very reasoned arguments to my mother as to why I should get something. She would at first tell me no, and I would lay out the reasons that it should happen. And nine times out of ten, she'd say, 
all right, well, <laughs> that's what we're going to do because it makes sense. I'm pretty sure they knew you were going to be a lawyer when you were like five. I wanted to go. I wanted to become a lawyer at nine. That was my my kind of pipe dream when I was nine. Dad wanted me to be a doctor, but I didn't like blood. So I mean, well, I, same thing. I yeah. thought that too. Oh, I don't I like I science, math, or blood. Exactly. It's really going to make being a doctor difficult for you. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think you probably could have gotten over it at some point, but no. <laughs> Dabbled with the idea of veterinary medicine for a while, but I didn't like the idea of cutting open or like animals oh, dying and dog seemed like part of it. I don't like animals enough to do that. Really? No pets? No. I'm afraid of birds. It's a secret, but now everyone knows. I'm afraid of birds too. I know. I just think they're weird. I just got four chickens. But they're not really birds. They are birds. They're but they're not really. I'm afraid of things that can fly down. They Swoop and land on but your they head. They only and can fly for a short distance and so only so high. It's more than I can fly. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that's not as scary. I'm, I'm afraid of like actual. <laughs> like a cockatiel or a. <laughs> no, they're no, all. Those big. They're all scary. Turkey buzzard. Oh, buzzard. well, those are terrifying. Those will, those will pick your, yeah. your uh, corpse. Anything that can get away from me in a way that I can't get away myself frightens me. Like if they can peck at me and then go. I don't want to be a part of that. Where I live, we have a bunch of wild turkeys, and I'm not too fond of them so either. Do, so They're mean. Well, I just had like a run-in with a wild turkey. She had six. I was on the phone with Ariel actually. <laughs> she had six. She had six babies, and I wanted to show my baby who was in a stroller that so she, she had babies. So I approached mother. her, but gave her distance. And then I got into the street in order to give her even more distance, and she followed me into the street and came after my baby. And I was like, look, lady, um, I'm giving you a good amount of space. You should give me a good amount of space. But she did not respect me, so. That's why I don't like turkeys. We Birds have no respect. No. no, I was like, I'm not trying to touch your baby. Don't touch mine. So, yeah, I don't like birds. Sorry. Tangent. <laughs> anyway. Do you, does your daughter have any kind of caged rodent pet, anything no. like that? Oh, no. No. <laughs> I had a dog that I inherited in my divorce, I say. <laughs> I say, I shouldn't say I inherited. Was I was there doggy awarded, custody? I was awarded <laughs> it. Uh, and I say I was because he wanted the dog. Oh. <laughs> You're like, no. But I did love that dog. And I had to put him down because of cancer. Mm. And after that, I just don't feel like I can ever have a dog like Hercules again. And selfishly, it's hard enough to get away when you have children. It's true, yeah. But when you have an animal, it's so expensive to board them. And, and I feel like it's one thing to take my daughter to school at eight and she goes to daycare and we get home, you know, almost seven, 7.30. I couldn't leave a dog home alone for, for 12 all those hours. hours a day. I thought about making it my therapy dog and bringing it into wow. the court. Brilliant. I would love to have a dog in your department. Wouldn't that be? I think it would. I'm going to talk to the PJ and tell him I think I need a therapy. I think every judge and family needs a therapy oh, dog. Oh, I, I definitely agree If the could pet it. a sweet little dog before they went and sat down or did a meet and confer, I think we could have... Oh, the therapy dog isn't for the litigants, Ariel. Uh, oh, it's <laughs> only... It's I think just, me. just right under your whatever, your <laughs> bench. you call. Yes. No, I agree. I think that... Put it right on your lap. <laughs> <laughs> just pet it. <laughs> Your own Mr. Bigglesworth. <laughs> I, a little pet. I agree. I think everyone should bring a therapy dog. I actually bring my dog to work sometimes, so I, not to court, obviously, but I would try if I could. I think you, they couldn't stop you now. I mean, I don't think they could either, but no. I, I Our dog's very sweet. I feel like some judges would be like, what is going on, Miss Selleck? And I'd be like, uh, no. Yeah. I had a restraining order hearing, and I can't talk about litigation, but I can say this. The litigant brought the dog to court, and it was an American bulldog. I've s I think I was, was this recent? Like in the last 
three months? Yes, I think I was there. And float around? Yeah. But not in my court. Oh, I was in a courthouse where an American was Bulldog Was it in came Contra Costa in. County? It was. In the Peter Spinetta building? It was. Did you see it growling? No. Oh, it was a mean bulldog. Well, no. Here's the thing. I didn't see it growling. It was a nice bulldog, but it didn't like lawyers. Well, it only, it <laughs> understandable. Only, it only growled at the lawyers. <laughs> it was fine with the court reporter. It was fine with my deputy. It was fine with litigants. But if a lawyer, and who knows, maybe because the lawyers were so presumptuous and they like yeah. came you know, they, touch yeah, it. they came up by the tables. You know, how lawyers like to sit in the front, yeah. not in the audience. Oh and maybe the the bulldog was like, "Listen, I need space." That's <laughs> funny. And so he would growl, and I was like, "That would be a perfect dog for me to have in the back during settlement conferences." Just like n no lawyers. Keeps the lawyers a distance. Well, it just keeps them. Keep your voice lowered. Calm down. Yeah. Don't upset Kuja. I like <laughs> Kuja's a great name. Killer. <laughs> Something like that. You have to do a scary name. I support your uh, your dog, uh, and I think that you should. And get I one. think as supervising this year, that's something that you really can put <laughs> in motion. Now's, now's the time to do it if you're going to exactly. do it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Circling all the way back around to yeah. starting your career. Yes. And the uh, unspoken rule that women could not wear pants and had to wear skirts, and getting over those hurdles. At what point do you think that started to go away and the tide started to change? Has it changed? I mean, I think it has. I think we're getting better, yeah, but. I, I think we're better. I think it has changed. Do you know, I admire the young women that are coming out of law school and, and even like my daughter who's 19 and my daughter who's 28. They have such gumption that I would never, like they're just breaking down the whole you know, gender roles, like, yeah. no, that we can do the same thing, or they're just not accepting, they're that? not accepting the status quo. So I do, I do see a, a difference now. And I, and I think it's just, I think it's just because society's changing and that's affecting the young women and the young women don't see that they have to be any different than men and they can come in and they can make the same arguments and they can be aggressive and still be respectful and it's impressive it's impressive when i see a young female attorney come in and handle herself like she's been in the courtroom for 20 years self-confident yeah that's changing it's good yeah where they don't see the limitations that someone in a little bit older of a generation sees Right, they're not putting themselves in a box that has been placed. Well, and I, I think, too, it, exactly. And I think, too, like when I was growing up, I talked about my grandfather uh, who told me I should be an attorney because I just like to argue with him. But what I left out is my grandma saying, you'll never find a husband that way or, you know <laughs> oh. what I mean? Like yeah. that those types of comments, whether you think it impacts your your attitude or your vision of how you fit into the world, it does. Absolutely. It does on a on a subconscious level. That's always there. Like, oh, I can't be too aggressive because mm -hmm. I will be seen as mean. Whereas men who are aggressive are, you know, macho, go getters, yeah. right? Ambitious, yeah. And so, when I talk to my daughter, who's you know, I'm going to use the 19 year old because she's probably more of the the group I'm talking about. She's like, no, I don't. I don't have to fit into any certain type of category and I can say what I feel and I yeah. can speak my mind and if somebody doesn't appreciate that then they don't deserve to be with me 
Like that's the that's attitude. Awesome. I know. Yeah, it is good awesome. For her. It is good for her. I know. What is she studying in school? She is studying communications, cool. social advocacy, and um, English lit. And she's probably going to go to law school. Let's say she's going to follow oh. mom's footsteps. But she says she doesn't. She's like, but I don't want to be a lawyer. I mean, that's where we all started, right? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a gateway drug, law school. It is. <laughs> she's, I mean, like, she's like, I'm going to work on public policy. I'm like, okay, well, we'll talk later. Yeah, Talk when those loans come due. When you get to the end, <laughs> let me know. So wait, and I just wanted to circle back. So you took the bar with two children? No, I took the bar August of 1999, August 20, I think 2nd, 23rd, and 24th, because it was three days, in 1999. My daughter was born September 7th, 1999. So my my 19-year-old wants to know if she can petition the state bar that she actually has already taken the bar and passed it. She feels like she's already (laughs) a lawyer. I feel like that's fair. I mean, that's she what she asked me the, the other bar. day. I'm like, you are a lawyer. <laughs> I mean, th- just having that argument is just a great argument. I think she should pass. That is a great was. level she of focus. She was like, you only passed because you had two brains. I'm, I'm sorry. She was. She, you were that pregnant when you took the bar, and you, that's amazing. It's funny. I know. It's funny because <laughs> they asked if I wanted an accommodation. I'm like, well, a what pillow. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, what would I get? Yeah. You throw a few answers my way. I was like, I don't want that. Uh, yeah, I want to do this in short <laughs> periods. Yes. I was like, Can I get I w- cookies? <laughs> I would like less questions, not yeah. more time. <laughs> Can I just get a pass? <laughs> what was the multiple choice was 100 questions. I was like, can oh. I just do 75? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, the multiple choice. Now it's two days. What do you think about that? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. They, two well, wait, years ago? They, what did they get rid of? They um, A practical. Oh. Was it that practical the, so on the first day, you did essays in the morning, and you did a practical in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Then you did a day of multiple choice. Then you did essays again in the morning and a practical in the afternoon. I right. thought the practical should not have been on the bar. It was, it's so subjective. It's really mm-hmm. How silly. do you, there's no way, there's no right answer. Yeah. Right. It's essentially like, here's a problem, how would you deal with it? Yeah. How do you grade that? It was the weirdest part. Of, it, was the, it was the one part that I was just like, why am I doing this? Like, Honestly? Yeah. I, I went to the bathroom for like an hour because I, <laughs> that's where I took my more time. I was like, okay, I, and I'm very quick, like I'm like, okay, here's the issues. <laughs> Here's what I think some of the law is. Here are some of my ideas. Ultimately, I think I'll do this. And I'm like, okay, what? Like, and I have two hours left. Yeah, so I just, <laughs> and I passed. So I knew that that was no good in the bar. Oh, I don't remember what the practical that everyone hated my year, but I remember there was one where everyone bombed it and it ended up not mattering. We all, not, not, not all passed, but I passed. That's probably the practical. Yeah, it was I, practical. Actually, I actually think. I don't know that I would have put more multiple choice, maybe more oh. essays. Multiple they added an additional terrible. Uh, category now. There's California Civil Procedure added to the multiple choice. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think they added more questions, though. They just inserted it into the 100 questions that, that they already have. That feels all right, I guess. Wait, so there's 100 questions or 200 questions now I don't on think different days. I don't think there's more multiple choice, right? I don't. There's not more, but I couldn't tell you if it started at 100 or 200. I blacked mm-hmm. that out. I don't remember. But I, I know they snuck Cal civil procedure in there and took out a practical. So we're down to two days because the pass rate was so low. I mean, but the pass rate was terrible this time, too. Mm-hmm. Well, now they're oh, talking wait, about... so it's not three days? No, no it's, it's only a two-day two two test now. 
but it's still they thought they thought. Well, how do you feel? Is that I believe they thought that that would <laughs> well, make the passage rate higher, but it hasn't affected it. No. Which is not now they're talking about lowering the pass score. I'm laughing because it's that argument that I hear attorneys that makes me internally want to roll my eyes, which is, but I had to do it. <laughs> well. It's not really a good argument. I, I actually can see why they made it a two-day test if they got rid of the, the practical exam, which to me was too subjective. I, my guess if people appealed, it would be if you didn't pass that part. The practical. Yeah, yeah and then how do, you, how do you justify it if you were the state bar of saying, on this completely subjective <laughs> test. Right. That's so this memo to an attorney who doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You, you might have a conflict. What do you do? My practical was a sales question, and I was just like, this is never going to come up in my my life again, but I'm going to take this. Well, so. that, and that's how I felt, too, because <laughs> mine was a you share office space with someone, and, and a person walks in and wants you to represent them, but your office mate is has represented someone who is involved in this litigation so. in the past, <laughs> so is there a conflict? Put up that wall. And it's like, well, we just Privacy share wall. office space. They're like, nope, <laughs> let's not talk about it at the water cooler. I think it was <laughs> just a, a practice in busy work and to make sure that you can keep writing and churn <laughs> out, you know, six pages of drivel. They're like, That's can you bill hourly? Let's go. <laughs> That's what it really is, the hourly question. And so I was like, I'm going to be a prosecutor. This does not apply to me. They're like, I'm fine. <laughs> we all have the same. We're fine. I'm, I work for the state. Did you already have a job offer going into the bar? I did not. So did, did you not. did you feel like you were going to always be a prosecutor, or was that the hope? In college, I think I started to gravitate towards being a a. I didn't know if I was going to be a prosecutor or a defense attorney. Oh. I had not decided. I actually did a so in college, I had a minor in legal studies, and I did an internship at the public defender's office, and I did an internship at the district attorney's office. In law school, I worked at the federal defender's office, oh. and I interned at the district attorney's office. And after all of that, I decided that I was better equipped to be a prosecutor, I think, than a defense attorney. I could have done both. I just felt I was more passionate about being a prosecutor. And I also felt like there were less women of color in a prosecutor's office. And my big thing is part of achieving fairness is having different individuals who have different backgrounds making the call. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If you, if you want someone who's more in tuned with uh, individuals of color or with women or young mothers or anything, it really helps to have that voice in the office and I don't mean to disparage because some of my friends and colleagues were what you would describe as the typical prosecutor you know yeah. which I'm, I, I'm I can picture him <laughs> yes. oh I've seen them I see them right now clearly <laughs> and and I, no issue with that I had many many debates with many individuals that you would consider typical prosecutors and they made me better at my job and hopefully I was able to get them to look at the other side of the coin yeah, and made them better at their job because I think ultimately I decided to be a prosecutor not only because um, I thought that was an area where we needed more women and we needed more women of color but if you're a defense attorney 
hats off to them. But you defend your client no matter what. Mm -hmm. Right. If your client says, okay, I did it, you go into court and you defend them. And yeah. you have to. And I would think less of anyone who, who did not. Yeah. But could I do that to the level that I thought someone deserved and I wasn't so sure. But as a prosecutor in a perfect world, in my world, if you find out somebody didn't do it, you have the, the privilege of walking into court of and dismissing it, yeah. that case. I remember the first time I said the word dismiss mm -hmm. and the judge looked up and was like, what'd you just say? Uh -huh. I'm like, dismissed, what? We can't do that? He's like, I just usually, the." Usually a prosecutor will say, and judge, it's submitted to you to do it. And I was like, I just thought that was my job, and so I did it. Like, this is what needs to happen. This is what I'm going to do. And then I went back and was like, is someone going to come into my office now? Like, <laughs> am I Berate you for Yeah, and then no one did, so I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's kind of the, uh, th those are the, the DAs that I find to be the most uh, ethical I think is the ones that will make the call and they'll say okay there's not enough here let we have to dismiss this I mean I think that if they can do that and actually say the D word then they are the people who you can actually talk to when your client is guilty and you can say look you know they did this you know we've we've got to talk about what we can do here for a plea and so like th that makes the relationship I think stronger between the DA and, and the, def the, def the defense when you can have that respect and say okay you know if this is a if this is a bad case we can talk if this is a good case we can talk and so I think that that's really important to have on the on the, the district attorney side but something um, that you said earlier I wanted to talk about is that why um, you ran for, um, you were thinking about running for um, DA? I did not run, but I, I put my name in for the Put your name in, sorry. Is it because you wanted to have some diversity in the, in the office? I think it was a lot of reasons. Okay. And one, we'll just talk about the self-motivated, selfish reasons. I'm my own boss. Yeah, <laughs> sounds nice. <laughs> there's, there's no one except for the voters. And I guess, theoretically, as a judge, that's true. But I think there's, um, you have a little bit more discretion yeah. as a, a DA. And I, I try to explain this to individuals, is that the judicial branch, it's not our job to create law, make law. It's not our job to decide whether or not to enforce certain laws and I am a huge believer, huge, in our system being built on checks and balances and if the judicial branch starts acting like the executive branch or the legislative branch there is a breakdown the same mm -hmm. as if the legislative branch starts acting like the judicial or the executive. I feel like everybody has a role. As a judge it can be frustrating. Mm -hmm. It could be really frustrating because you see things and you're like well I wouldn't have handled it that way and I wouldn't have done that but you were stuck in your box and I say stuck in your box it is a privilege to be a judge and in order to be a judge you take an oath and you take an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States and of California and I take that extremely seriously which means I am I make sure that I stay within my confines of what I can or cannot do it's why you know, if you've heard of the term in criminal, 1385, dismissing the interest of justice. Mm -hmm. I believe a judge has that power, 
but I do believe that it has to be used sparingly. Otherwise, you're just becoming the executive branch and making the decision of when to file charges and when mm -hmm. not to file charges. And I think you step over a line into a different branch of government. Mm -hmm. So back to your question. So there was the, I'm, I'm the person, but as a judge, I, I interpret the law and I apply it. And it is great and it is privileged. And I do love that job. As the DA, you set policy. Mm. It's just a different and job. It is. It's a little bit of a, a different job. And I felt that I was well suited for that job, having been a prosecutor, having been a young mother, mm -hmm. having had struggles growing up and not having money. Um, but also, I respect our laws. And whereas, like you said, sometimes your client did it. And the question is, what's a fair sentence? Yeah. And I understand that. I understand that sometimes it's not a whodunit, it's a what's the right thing to happen. Yeah. And I just think that we've seen instances where individuals that have had the power haven't made the right calls, or they're not moving the office of the district attorney in the right direction. And I'm a big believer, just like when I became a judge, people were like, oh, judges, they do this, they do that. I would never want to be a judge. And I'm like, you can complain about the problem or you can fix the problem. I'm a fixer. Yeah. I'm not really a complainer. And so if you want a better criminal justice system, then you have to start thinking, what can you do to make it better? I thought that I could be a good DA and make the system better, especially now. It's going through, I think, a serious uh, transition and some of the things that need to be fixed are being worked out in the in the legislature but I also think that you have to have someone who's mindful of safety of the community and victims like it's I'm a very moderate person I'm a very even-killed person I don't have I think I don't have that much. Um, I'm very impartial, and I've always been that way. I look at a problem, I look at it from every different angle, and then I try to come up with a solution. And I try not to think about what way do I want to tilt the scale, because generally I, I don't put my I don't put myself into it. And I think that's what makes a good DA, right? What are our problems in our system, and how can I fix it that everyone in the community uh, is every aspect is furthered. I, I'm not anti-police, I'm not pro-police, I'm not anti-defendant, I'm not pro-defendant, I'm not anti-prisons, I'm not pro-prison. Everything has its place in our society and I don't have a, I don't have an agenda and only to, to make sure that the right thing happens for everyone. I think everybody deserves to live in a safe neighborhood, send their children to a safe school and some people deserve second chances. Yeah. Maybe not everyone, but some do. Yeah. And I don't know that I would want a DA that would let everybody out, because that's not the neighborhood I want to live in, and I don't want a DA that's going to lock everyone up. And I'm not either of those people. I thought it would make me a good, good district attorney for the county. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sold. <laughs> but I'm a good judge. Oh, I'm yeah. a good judge. Yeah. Do you think you might sometime in the future, distant or near, move into politics, consider doing a run for I mean that was a, a great the that was a California great Senate or anything like that? Are you looking 
on the horizon? You know, I'm, it's funny because I always feel like my life has never, ever been planned out. Like, I wasn't looking to be a mother, but I was a mother, and I think I did a good job. I started off to be a paralegal, and then I ended up getting my four-year degree, ended up going to law school. I never thought that I would ever be a judge, ever. Like, that just wasn't something that was, I don't even know if I could say it wasn't a, obtainable to me, but I didn't even know what it is. What is being a judge? How do you get there? When we were younger, did you ever see someone that looked like you on the bench? No. No, it's and it makes me happy when um, when people come in that look like me and, yeah. they, and they see me. Because I register that it, even if I don't um, rule in their favor, that there's some sense of, but I know she listened. Because mm -hmm. there's no sense of she's not like me. She doesn't understand where I come from. And, and every once in a while, a, a litigant will say something funny because I will laugh. Like sometimes I'll have an African-American female court reporter mm -hmm. and my clerk is an African-American female and my, the deputy in my court is an African-American male. And like every once in a while, a litigant will be leaving and will say, this is a fair courtroom with fair people that look like the community. And that does make me feel good. Because yeah. that's, I, I want people to come to court and feel like they are heard based upon their arguments, not what they look like, not what they can afford to wear, not what their yeah. job is, not what their grammar is, not what their, you know, not what their necessarily background is. At least that, it, that can't be overcome if they made a mistake. And I'm not saying my colleagues, I have great colleagues, can't do that. I just think sometimes I add something different Absolutely. to the mix. And I think people can really ex um, accept your ruling better, if, even if it's against them, if they feel that they were heard, they feel that they were listened to, and especially if they see people that look like them, just like you just said, it can provide some closure to them. And it goes with what you were saying earlier. You want representation in the DA's office to understand the community and to get those perspectives. Same thing on the bench. I think it's so important that we have people from all walks of life, different races, different genders, understanding the community. Even if you're not the one hearing the case, you talk to your colleagues and you give your colleague a perspective that oh, the I colleague might not have had. I absolutely. Here's a, um, a I'll think of an example because I don't think that I am just because I come from a certain background and I can relate I don't know everything mm -hmm. there are things that I haven't been exposed to so my uh, daughter when she was in high school had a teacher that was transitioning from a female to a male and the school was sending letters home we're gonna have an assembly we're gonna talk to the children and of course I get wrapped up in it like oh my god do you understand this do you know what this means and my daughter looked at me and she goes mom it's not a big deal quite frankly you should go to the assembly it's more foreign to your generation than it is my generation we're not freaked out was this your we oldest daughter or your middle daughter? Middle daughter. Middle, she okay. was like, we understand all the pronouns. Your 19-year-old so sounds real cool. <laughs> she's totally cool. Yeah. She's <laughs> super cool. She was like, we, oh, she's super. She she's should funny. run for office. She should. Maybe yeah. she will. <laughs> uh, Mother-daughter ticket. Yeah, there it is. So um, <laughs> she, she told me that, and I was like, well, I feel stupid. And she's like, you're not stupid, Mom. You're just ignorant. You didn't know. But, and, <laughs> and she's like, she's like, ignorant is not a bad thing. It just means that you don't have knowledge of the facts. It's like a dagger to your heart but also a proud moment <laughs> you're like I, I love like, you and I'm so sad about myself I, I know <laughs> I was like okay I'll get out more 
But I, but I think about it, and that's true. That wasn't something that yeah. I was exposed to growing up, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that that's another way that society has evolved. How many openly gay prosecutors were there 20 years ago in the office? I, yeah. Right. How many openly gay judges are there yeah. in you know in our county right now? I can only think of a few, and you know they're not screaming it from the rooftops. You know, it's Alameda County also. It's just you know, but it's everything's getting better and more transparent, and it's wonderful. But everything's a process. Everything is a process because everything is based upon what you are used to, and I think that the more that you're exposed to certain things, the more you're like, oh, okay. I understand. It's you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. this is no, this is not really that big of a deal. Like my daughter said, I was just ignorant. Yeah. And so I, you I think you don't it's, understand, and once you're exposed to it, you understand it. That's what I will say about uh, our ex governor Jerry Brown, and specifically Josh Groban, who's now on yes. the California Supreme Court. I I thought that both of them. I know Josh Groban would say, I did nothing. The governor made the appointments. Uh -huh. Did an excellent job of ensuring diversity. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and all, not just you know racial diversity, but sexual orientation yeah. diversity, uh, different religious backgrounds. I, I really think that that was important to the governor, and he did a great job, and I, I think it shows. There was some great progress over mm -hmm. the course of the, yeah, the last years. It was really good. It was. so, And it makes a difference, I can tell you, like going to the meetings with judges of, you know, you start hearing different ideas and people that bring different things to the table. It makes a huge difference because we do talk to each other and I do hear other ideas and I am exposed to different values and different cultures and different upbringings. And so hearing that makes me a better judge. And I know some people think, well, it doesn't. It doesn't matter, you're independent judiciary. We are, but it helps. It really does help. Because when we're talking about, okay, this case came out and this is how I kind of interpret it, someone with just a little bit of a different background might say, well, what about this? And as judges, we start thinking in a different way, so. Awesome. And I do not say that because I am hoping for an appointment to a higher court because Jerry Brown's not the governor. That's sincere. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, well, we're, we're about at an hour, so. But before we wrap up. I, I wasn't going to wrap up. You, you're the rapper. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's I feel like we had a bunch of other questions and we got sidetracked oh, a lot. Oh, we do. But, but I, I will tell you this. I am excellent. Yes. At doing it. Yes, period. And sentence. I am, um, <laughs> you know, I had an interview with a uh, assembly member, and he was asking me some questions. And, uh, like, at the end, he goes, I feel like you interviewed me. And I'm like, I'm very good at that. I mean, yeah. But that makes the best interviews. It, they flow yeah. so, so nicely. We've and they're really not just been chatting. I've really enjoyed myself, honestly. Um, one question we do like to ask yes. everyone that comes on, and 
as you said, there's a lot of questions I didn't get to. We'll invite you back again, and we yeah. would like to have you come back. Yeah, so we should definitely have put a pin in that. Can I bring my 19-year-old daughter? Oh, I would love. I would. Oh, you're only allowed back with your 19-year-old daughter. We have actually never done a dual interview, and I would Mother love to do that. You can talk about the difference in our generation. Oh, I'm so into. We're that gonna already. calendar that before you leave. Okay, yeah, so I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I'm very, very excited about that. I um, should actually say you should invite my 28-year-old, and then you'll get, like... Let's all come. I would like to have all three of them. Can we bring your 8-year-old also? <laughs> no. I feel like 8-year-old is a little too young. But she's very opinionated. <laughs> I don't doubt it. She's no. She clearly comes from a family of strong, opinionated women. Which is great. We need more of them. <laughs> Let's talk briefly about your mentors and who you look to when you're having a hard time. Who helped you get to where you are today? Anyone, top three, top two, top one. Doesn't have to be a lawyer, doesn't it have to It doesn't. California women lawyers, we always want to, what was the, the quote someone else said? You know, if you go up the ladder, always put your hand behind you to help the next person up. Yeah. It's the, it was the mountain, but yeah, ladder's good too. Ladder's a little less stable in a mountain, I suppose, but <gasps> yeah. However, whatever you're climbing. I'll hold your ladder. Who okay. helped you up and who are you helping up? Yeah. The first one is very easy, Professor Joanne Katz. She was my college professor, and she told me that there is no way that she will let me leave college without first seeing all of my applications to law school. Like, this is going to happen. You're going to law school. You have no choice. And she was actually disappointed that I went uh, into criminal law. She wanted me, she really, really tried to steer me into some other area of not necessarily civil litigation, but maybe a little bit more of constitutional law, um, employment free law, free speech, uh, ACLU type work. So she was just like, I think you're better than being a prosecutor. So well, now you're a judge, so. I know, so she was, she was right So <laughs> she came and spoke at my swearing in. Oh, that's awesome. And she was probably one of the most impactful women in my life, and I say that because I'm, I'm, I feel like now I have to go back. Most impactful woman in my life. I'm rolling my eyes because <laughs> I don't, because I don't want to give this person a compliment. <laughs> Be my mother, <laughs> and I see that because I love my dad, but I feel like my mom raised us on her own, and she was the true working woman, taking us to school, picking us up, making sure that we you know, had dinner, homework, instilling values, like, and I tell my mom all the time, you weren't the perfect mother, but you were a darn good one. Yeah. And so I feel like I have to say my mother, I would say it more if she'd pay off my student loans, so without <laughs> a doubt. Put her on blast right now, mom, pay off those loans. Yeah, do it. <laughs> and then as far as individuals I work with, I have to say uh, Judge Leslie Landau. Well, Landau is a favorite of everyone at this table. Absolutely. She's, first of all. So smart. So, I, oh, I, that's an under, smart. understatement. I know. Like, sometimes I have a conversation with her, she, and I was like, I don't even know what you just said. She but frightens me. She does. So smart. I don't even like to approach her, because I'm just afraid. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> me too. I, I just carry a little pocket dictionary yeah. in my, <laughs> in my <laughs> I only know my name. Her. Yeah. And I'm always like, context clues, context clues. Okay. <laughs> You're like, um, oh, yeah. But <laughs> I did a murder trial with her and after it was all done defendant was sentenced she said come see me and I go in the back she's like okay listen there's gonna be an opening on the bench and it's time oh. you need to put your 
your name in and I say she's the she's my editor she is an she is one of the most gifted writers I have ever met will ever meet however you have to be prepared to cry a little bit when you get your work I've heard back. that covered her, in red <laughs> it is covered in red yeah she, I, red she might listen to this podcast and if you do I'm sorry Leslie sometimes I know it's not my best work and I still give it to her because I know she'll just fix it like yeah. if I'm <laughs> we all yeah, I get it I know but I should tell her that she'll be like okay did you really try um and then let's see another person I am going to have to say Judge Anita Santos oh I was just in front of her this morning isn't she She's wonderful so She's so inbiting on the on the. We stand. are going to invite her on the podcast, so you should tell her what a good time you had, I so that will. she comes She's on and talks to us. Very lovely, also. So I don't know if you know this. When I started at the DA's office, she was a DA there. I did not. No. So I've known Anita since 2000. We've known each other for 19 wow. years, and I know. So I started the DA's office. I was there for a week. There were three women of color in the office, and this is what of a hundred attorneys. The two women of color, Karen Zellis and Anita Santos, came to my office and said, okay, we're taking you to lunch. Good and woman. And we're going to watch out for you, and you're going to be here a long time. Anita then left, and she went into family law, and she actually was my attorney at one point. And then when I put my name in to become a judge, I didn't know that Anita had to. She didn't tell me. Cause we, she'd said, oh, I'm fine being the commissioner. And she put her name in. And I got a negative. And I asked her to write a letter addressing the negative that I received. And she said, absolutely. Later, or at some point, she said, after she wrote the letter, you know my name's in also. And I can't tell you what that means for somebody who is competing for a spot with you to write a letter to the governor why their application is pending about why this other person would be a great judge does that i don't i just can't the level of selflessness well she's she's stand up i mean she's just like a really solid good woman so anita's the friend you call when you want the truth right when you don't want someone to say you're wonderful anita's the friend you call where she says yes you made a mistake but this is how you this is what you need to do yeah and she's the one that she is just completely honest in a s- nice, gentle, motherly way. But she will not let. Well, <laughs> she, sugarcoat it. She will no. not. She will not. She will not. <laughs> she will speak her mind, and that's in everything. She is a wonderful, wonderful person. She has a way about it, though. I remember appearing in front of her, even when she wanted to tell you you were wrong or the litigant they were wrong. Like you said, she does it in such a nice way that no matter how bad the news is, <laughs> you feel like it's a teachable moment. It is. It's a gift. There, it is a gift. I had, she, she gave me a teachable moment this morning. <laughs> it was a lovely <laughs> moment, though. I was like, oh, okay. Well, thank you for that. So, yeah. Those are all That's great, wonderful. It sounds great like, mentors. Yeah. You had some it's good ones. It's no wonder I, you're where you are today because yeah. you've had people that have helped you every step of the way, in addition to your, obviously, own talents. Do you work with any mentoring yourself of mentoring law students or young lawyers, aside from, obviously, your daughters who sound amazing? <laughs> you know, it's funny, and in a, like going on, I'm going to go on another tangent. I know, like, right now, I feel like judges in some way are under attack. You know, there's been more groups trying to recall, recall. judges, and again, I... Of course, I'm a judge, but I would say this if I wasn't a judge. 
the problem with the way it is occurring is that it, there are individuals that just don't like a ruling. Mm -hmm. It's not really something that the judge has necessarily done. It is a ruling they don't like. And if you start going down this path, there's always one side that's unhappy. How are you ever going Sometimes two sides. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> How are you ever going to have a judge who's going to make the call yeah. if then the recourse is, but if you make the call we don't like, then we're going to try to make sure that you're not a judge anymore. So how I got there, I forgot, because what was your question? Uh, asking yeah. if you are yeah, working mentor. to mentor Okay, anyone. so mentoring. So it's going back to that, because that leads to, there's always young women attorneys that come in, and I'm funny, because I will see attorneys, I'm like, oh, they're going to be good. I know they're going to be good. Like, the way that they presented this argument, the way that they were prepared, I, you know, I like the way that they, um, I like the way that they handle opposing counsel, and I always think, but if only they did, you know, these three things mm -hmm. would really up their game. And I think, well, I should say that. I should tell them. And um, I'm always hesitant because we are held to such strict yeah. rules and ex parte. And then will the other side say, will you coach them how <laughs> to win an argument? So young Attorneys know every once in a while with both attorneys there, I might say, okay, listen, if you're presenting this, you have to remember rules of evidence apply. This is what it is. I might give some teaching moments, but it's really hard to take a young attorney who appears in front of me mm -hmm. and mentor them. And, and you never know who's going to appear in front of you. I'm in right. family now. I could be in criminal next week. However, I am on the board of the Center for Youth development in law or for law. I always get uh, always get the acronym mixed up. And essentially it takes high school students yeah. from Oakland and Richmond who have potential to work in a law-related field. And so I've started doing that more. And hopefully I'll be able to mentor young high school students who, coming from Oakland and Richmond, are, are not all of them, but a lot of them are youth of color. And, and so hopefully I'll be able to do some more mentoring that way through mock trial. Super and maybe cool. more in the in law school. I've thought about teaching, getting into teaching. Think you'd be teaching. a great teacher. Absolutely. Yeah. Students are lucky to have you. Yeah. Aww. And if there's anything we can do with mock trial, we would be happy to help. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we will remember that. Absolutely. absolutely. We wanted to help with the mock trial team, but we're also new mothers and practicing you know. attorneys and yeah <laughs> even if you just come in one time well, we'd be happy. that's exactly up our alley we'd love <laughs> to do that one, one time is exactly time. what i can do teach tell them how to do cross-examination you'd be amazed these kids are good oh i i yeah we need to watch i the, love working with you know high school kids that want to do that because they have such enthusiasm they, for they it teachers i think right you, mm -hmm. you yeah i taught I, so. I taught eighth grade science for a year between undergrad and law school i stumbled my way into a physical science teaching job which so, so my 28-year-old, that's what she did. Oh, really? She taught high school biology at Burton High in San Francisco. Oh, biology. I know. I don't know how that happened. I, I, I did physical science at uh, Jonas Salk Middle School in <laughs> Sacramento. It was amazing. I taught economics, so I can't get into the sciences with you guys. No, well, no, if I had to do it all over again, that's what I would major in. Economics? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All it's right. applicable to everything. Well, it is. It's right? absolutely everything. Oh. Free economics. It's the Guys. All no, right. Sorry. We won't go, go off. We'll, we'll save that I'm candy sorry, for next time. But the <laughs> lead 
economist for the state of California, or a chief, whatever her title is, came and gave a little presentation to the California Judges Association. And I was like, I want your job. Oh, well, well, let's try and get it for you. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a wonderful yes, interview. Thank yes. you so much. It's been a lot of fun. If you want to learn more about Judge Danielle Douglas, which you should want to learn more, please pick up The Verdict, the Alameda Contra Costa Trial Lawyer Association magazine for spring of 2019, where she is featured yes, as one of yes. the judges. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you so thank much. You. Okay. As always, we'd like to thank our wonderful guest, Honorable Danielle Douglas, for being here with us. Thank you for our fabulous co-host, Ariel Brown O'Lee, and Gilbert Lung for our as our sound engineer. Until next time. Thank you for listening. <laughs>